0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast that explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages
2: of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us listeners. Today's comic was published on the 3rd of December 1970, Five years to the day since the Beatles released Rubber Soul. That's quite exciting. Mm. We've rattled through nineteen seventy, haven't we?
1: We have, yeah. It's not like the sixties at all.
2: Yeah, not like you know, sixty eight and sixty nine when I felt we'd never get through them. But this is <laughs> this is cracking. Where are we fudging it slightly this week? Yes, we well we are sort of. We've said in the past that much of this podcast is really. It's Barry Allen's story. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, when you read certain issues of crisis and Infinite Earths, we won't go into the details here right now because that would spoil but, it. But, you know, Barry being the first Silver Age reboot of a, an existing character name, etc. Yeah. And the guy, obviously, who met his Golden Age Earth 2 counterpart and kick-started everything yeah. with Flash Two Worlds. Barry's one of the, the cornerstones of everything that we're doing. So every so often, we're going to do a few stories that tie into Barry quite heavily and significant developments in his story absolutely and that's what we're doing today we are doing the lead story from issue 203 of The Flash Peter is going to tell you about the rather magnificent cover
1: this cover is absolutely
2: stunning
1: it is it's like a photo collage montage whatever you want to call it Mm. on the left hand side You've got a real-world image of like an office building. There's a, an almost Stalin-like figure walking down the street. There's some other people walking down the street. And you have a proper penciled version of the Flash who's looking distraught. He's pulling at his wife, Iris, who's being drawn into the right-hand side of the cover. And the right-hand side of the cover looks like a futuristic cityscape. But it's done not in a photo collage, montage way. It's done in a traditional comic style. And Iris is shouting back at the distraught Flash and she's saying...
2: Let me go, Flash! You can't hold me here! I must go back to where I belong!
1: And as Iris is being drawn into this futuristic cartoon world... Her clothes are metamorphosizing from ordinary nineteen mm. seventy streetwear into some kind of futuristic
2: garb. Yes, it reminds me. Do you remember that sketch in Absolutely when I think Jack Doherty goes into it? It's a very early Absolutely sketch when Jack Doherty mm-hmm. goes into the sort of high street pretentious clothing boutique. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, uh, a reference that all our listeners will, will understand, of course. It's probably on
1: YouTube. Look up <laughs> Absolutely uh, on YouTube.
2: It reminds me of the sort of outfits that those people wearing, but it's, it's very interesting. I think it's her 22nd Neil Adams cover because he's responsible mm-hmm. for the art part of it, but it's very effective, the photo collage side on the left, and it really has a an almost surreal sort of juxtaposition sort of thing. Yeah. It's very, uh-huh. very effective. I've seen similar covers. I know there's a there's a Superman cover. There's probably a name mm-hmm. for the process, I'm sure.
1: Fumetti is what they use for like photo strips and photo yes. comics, but this is like a combination, so I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Listeners, if you know, please write in and tell us.
2: Uh huh. And we talked about, you know, the photo collage work that Jack Kirby had done at various points when we Mm -hmm. did our Guardians and News Boys episode a few weeks ago. So it's, it's, we're sort of wondering if, you know, was Jack's approach maybe rubbing off and encouraging some other people to be a little bit more experimental? Because it's very, very effective. Yes. It's going to look cracking on the, on the old socials. Iris's dialogue makes me wonder if she's been listening to the, the final Beatles album. It was released. But anyway, I'm already talking about the Beatles far too much. So let's, let's skip ahead away from all of that.
1: I know they've broken up at this point.
0: So, you know, there's there's no point.
2: (laughs) Look forward listeners as I chip in with occasional references to what the Beatles are doing in their solo work throughout the rest of the podcast. It might happen. You never know. So we're going to jump straight into the story now. We have an opening caption. We have the text and then either side of the text, there's sort of drawings of Iris Allen's head sort of looking askance at each other. It's quite interesting. There's a slightly corrupted version of the, the front cover logo and a very Binky esque bit of Windy and Willy, whatever they were called, sort of style lettering mm. for some of the rest of it. But anyway, the name of this story is The, the Flash's, Flash's Wife is a, a two timer. A tiny caption says the story is by Robert Kaniger. Yay! know. Oh, yes, welcome back. It's been too long. And another small, tiny caption tells us the art is by Erf Novick and Murphy Anderson. Double yay! Yeah, it's a bit of a dream team, isn't it? This is fantastic, yeah. So, our opening page, it's not a splash or anything. It's three panels that are oddly dissected and laid out, but the first one shows the flash beaming up to the Justice League satellite. And it's a caption that says,
0: From 22,300 miles above Earth, the JLA satellite scans the planet's danger spots
2: like an unblinking eye. It's very cosmic. I hope that's the moon. Take a drink. That's it right is. beside us yes. there. Yeah, take a drink, listeners. Maybe it's another planet. Maybe there's more planets in the solar system in the Earth-1 universe, I'm not sure. <laughs> the caption for panel two. On duty inside, Superman. Yes, we see the Man of Steel sat at the desk. He turns around as the Flash arrives. Superman says, Flash, not time to relieve me already. Not quite, Superman, but
1: my wife Iris is away on a newspaper assignments and I felt lonely. So
2: I thought I'd join you in your vigil here. The final panel of page one, there's a viewing screen in front of Barry and Cal, and we can see the Earth hanging in space below the satellite. Barry says, Earth's beautiful, isn't it? Like a jewel hanging in space. A welcome home beacon. You can get poetic about it, Flash. It's your home. But I'm an alien. A man without a native world to return to. But (laughs) what would you know about that? A close-up of the Flash in the first panel of page two as he replies,
1: A few days ago, I would have agreed with you, Superman but a phone call from my wife changed all that when I rushed home from Central City Police Lab and my other identity as Barry Allen.
2: Yes, The Flash narrates most of this story, so most of the captioning that we're going to have for the, for the rest of the adventure is done by The Flash himself, which is fine, because it saves Peter doubling up on voices. <laughs> Panel 2 shows Barry, as he says, arriving home. It looks where like the dinner table is set. There are candles lit, a couple of glasses, plates, knives and forks, what have you, but nothing else happening. Barry looks a little perplexed as he says, "Iris." What is it? Did I forget something? Your birthday?
1: Our anniversary? Is that why you wanted me to come home early? Iris? Answer me, where are you? Baring the rate's the next caption. Not only was there no response from Iris, there was no sign of her anywhere in the house. Yes, she's in the kitchen having a mooch around at this point, and he thinks. The house is deserted yet. Everything is in its place, as if she left in a hurry. Wait, message on the kitchen memo pad.
2: Panel three, and we get a really good look at Barry here. We can see that his hair's grown out. He doesn't have the crew cut that he used to. Mm-hmm. And he's not wearing a bow tie. He's, wearing a, he's actually wearing a suit very similar to what Clark Kent wore in one of the Jimmy Olsen's we did recently. It's a brown suit. is a green and black striped shirt with dark green tie. Close up Barry looking very surprised as he reads this note on the memo pad and he exclaims, Oh
0: my God!
2: The
1: Flash's narration continues. The floor felt like the tilting sea as scenes from my life with Iris
2: flashed through my drowning thoughts. Here we get a nice montage here Barry and Iris' wedding day. Barry and Iris smiling as they've just tied the knot. Iris' dad in the background as Iris says, For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Oh, Barry, we're together now for always. And the flashback continues with a shot of Barry activating his Flash costume ring. There's a zing as the costume starts to expand in the air and a shocked Iris, who looks very like Joan Collins here, looks on and says, Barry, you're the Flash! And so the caption for the first panel of page three is the Flash's continuing narration.
1: Iris' note plucked at my brain with fingers of fire as I changed into the Flash and rushed down to my cosmic treadmill in the basement.
2: Yes, we see the Flash activating the cosmic treadmill and as the Flash starts to run, We see that he drops the note that he's carrying and we're shown what the note says but I'm going to hold off telling you that for just a second. The caption narration for panel two says
1: To time travel ten centuries into the future I accelerated my vibrations along the treadmill.
2: We see the flash starting to vibrate losing his definition as he says I'm on my way Iris. And it's almost as though the the memo pad sheet is drifting towards us and we can see that Iris has written Darling, can't stop myself. Irresistible force pulling me. 1,000 years! Future! Help me! Ha! And then H, and she's cut off. Mm. Gosh. Now, the next panel looks kinda special. Barry's narration. As I maintain my hyper-vibrations, the years dissolved until... We see Barry standing in what looks like a wide-open desert area. The sky is a nice sort of shade of pink. We can see a burning sun. There's mountains in the background. There's an overhead sort of... I want to say monorail, but that's not what it is. It's an overhead structure, which appears to have some kind of translucent pipe... Rushing across it. Yeah. There's a lot of very visual elements to the story that we'll probably try and cram into the social, so we can get a look at them. Barry beholds all this as his vibrations sort of start to calm down and he looks around and he thinks, 2970. Is this all that's left of Central City? A bleak desert?
1: A geologic upheaval that hurled up a mountain higher than Mount Everest?
2: Some human intelligence must have enclosed that river in a suspension tube. And the page is rounded out by a cracking up-the-nose insert panel of the Flash. It's very, very effective, and it's, you know, mm. there's a touch of the Gil Cane's obviously, but it almost looks like it's Neil Adams doing Gil Caine. It's kind of weird. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I can see what you mean. It really looks like the, the mask is on his face and not just, like, part of his head. Mm. And
2: this dramatic close-up of the Flash is thinking...
1: Trip parched me. Son's a scorcher, How? Get
2: a quick drink before I look for Iris. And in the first panel, page four, he runs up the side of the structure that was bearing the river in a sort of weird long translucent tube, and he thinks Imagine! An entire river inside plastic, like a frozen drink at a supermarket. And we get a close-up shot of Barry extending a digit in the next panel. I'll drill a hole into it with a vibrating finger, then reseal it. There's a nice whirr sound effect as he drills into the water. We can see in panel three a little spout of water gushing out the top of the, the pipe. And then suddenly, there's a thing sound effect. Something goes flying past Barry. In fact, it's a bullet. The Flash thinks... What? Someone's taking a shot at me. The final panel of page four. We're almost sat beside the Flash looking down at what looks like a soldier in a sort of desert buggy.
1: Yeah, across between a jeep and a dune buggy.
2: Yeah, I'm sure I had a toy that looked like that when I was a kid. Mm. <laughs> it's roared up. We can see cactuses in the background, or cacti. There's clouds of dust being thrown. And there are two men in this vehicle, one of whom is driving, the other is shooting at the Flash. And the one who fires at the Flash cries, Aqua pura thief! The Flash continues his narration in the first panel of page five.
1: As I forced the oncoming shells to pass harmlessly through my vibrating body.
2: Yep, we can see the Zou sound effects as it looks, like so the driver is now taking shots at Barry as well. Flash is waving his hands as he vibrates and he says, Hold it! All I did was take a drink of water! All? single drop of water is more precious than any diamond! That's one of the gunmen. He continues, The penalty for stealing water is instant death! Now, we're back with a flash from his perspective up on top of the the river tube, as it were. Very interestingly, he observes... Those next two shells are breaking into multi-clusters. Yeah, there's a sort of rang sound effect as the bullets seem to split up. Barry starts to vibrate even more ferociously over the next sequence of three panels at the bottom of page five, as he thinks.
1: Those mini-missiles must have a homing device, magnetically orientated to target me. Can't risk one of them exploding while passing through my body.
2: Yes, there are various sort of bam and pow sound effects as these little miniature missiles all explode around them as he's trying to vibrate past them. Very exciting. We arrive at the top of page six, as the Flash narrates...
1: As the galvanised guards soared after me with their
2: arrow packs, I resealed the hole and... Yes, the two soldier-type figures who we met a page ago have now taken to the air and they're flying after the Flash, still firing after them, And he's running along the top of the river tube, thinking, I'll put that distant mountain between us, then begin my search for Iris. And very helpfully, the Flash narrates for the final sequence of three panels for this page. Vibrating through the solid rock of the mountain like a living drill. Yep, that's what we see in one end of the mountain and out the other side. Superb. And as we arrive at the top of page seven, the Flash exclaims, So, this is where the action is on the other side of the mountain. And we see that the Flash is beholding a very odd structure. It's huge. It's like something from the cover of a seventies sci fi novel, like a Michael Whelan painting or something. Mm-hmm. It looks like a tower made up of various little patches of neon lights. In a way it's almost like an inverted mushroom because there's a wider, yeah, more solid base to it. Um we can see some other little towers in the background, potholes and what looks like the continued parched desert, some trees growing around. Again the sky's sort of pink, there are low blue clouds, but this towering, brightly coloured structure is Right in front of him. And I've just noticed that the Flash's boots in this panel are coloured red and not yellow, and they look fantastic, it must be said. So they are. So, as the Flash looks at this big tower, he says...
1: The people of 2970
2: live in a self-contained city. Looks like it's been atom-bombed. Yes, because as we look a bit more closely, we can see there appear to be some patches in the structure where it looks like the bits of scaffolding almost are hanging out. It certainly looks like it's been damaged. Very, very interesting. What has been happening in this thousand years? Gosh. Panel 2 page 7, it's almost a point of view shot from inside a tree. There's some weird, it looks like giant tomatoes that are growing in the branches, and we can see the flash down on the ground saying, Gigantic mutant vegetation growing out of the street. And the final panel of page 7, he's obviously moving closer to this sort of inhabited area. We can see that there's damage to the structure, big cracks in the concrete, and a man walking in front of the flash. It appears those clothes are quite worn. There's a huge patch, a lot of people milling around. Mm. The flash is rendered in sort of a deep blue, almost as if he's in the shadows watching, and he says,
1: This is where my hunt for Iris begins. And his narration continues
2: in the first panel of page eight. In my haste, I put on a burst of invisible speed. And he runs past two men. One man dressed all in green, another man with a sort of orange tunic with a black detail in the front and blue leggings. And as the flash runs past, the man in green bumps into the man in orange. And the man in orange is carrying a jug of water. Because the guy in green has bumped into him, well, he tells us what happens. The man in the orange says, Hey, you made me spill my daily water doll. Sorry, it was an accident. You pay for making my family go without water for 24 hours. Yes, a raised fist. It looks like they're about to start fighting. A close-up of the flash in panel Three. He reacts in horror to what's happened and thinks, The city on water rations? No wonder stealing water is a crime. The next panel, a large... <laughs> Sound effect is happening. An alarm is obviously kicking off and it seems as though everyone who's walking around outside is rushing towards the building. Flash watches them all go and thinks, At the sound of that siren, the two men stopped fighting and started racing for shelter along with everyone else. He narrates the next panel. In seconds, the plaza was cleared. The alarm continues. And then in the final panel of page eight, we see a very familiar looking lady wearing a tight-fitting green top, a black belt and blue leggings, walking down towards where the Flash is standing. Flash can obviously still hear the alarm as he thinks. Wonder if it's an air raid alarm. And then his narration for the first panel of page nine. Suddenly the wailing siren faded into silence, abruptly shattered by a familiar voice. The woman standing behind the Flash says, Get away from here! Go back to where you belong! The Flash turns around, recognises her and cries, Iris! What are you saying? Don't you know me? I'm Barry Allen Flash, your husband. You left a note to help you. I changed my mind. Return to your world. You don't belong here in my world. The Flash grabs her by the shoulders in panel three and says, Honey, what's come over you? You belong with me as my wife back in Central City, back in nineteen seventy. No, no, don't touch me. Or I won't have the strength to tell you. The next panel is narrated by Iris, as she says. After you left for work that morning, I went to my father's house to clean up his basement laboratory. And we see Iris. Wearing different clothes, wearing a sort of orange top, blue trousers. And she's going through a big mess of files, basically. And she's holding a photograph. Looks like a young girl. With a sort of locket around her neck. And as Iris looks at this photograph, she's thinking, Dad's the typical absent-minded professor. His lab's a magpie's nest of, hmm, here's a baby snapshot of myself I never saw before. Wearing an odd shaped locket. And she looks around and she sees the locket hanging out the front of one of the drawers of this filing cabinet. And she thinks... And here's the locket itself, with Iris Russell engraved on it. Russell? She thinks. And we can see, yes, the detailing on the the locket. Her hand moves closer. And in the first panel page 10, she picks the locket up. The caption says, The moment Iris touched the locket... Yes, a jagged little speech bubble, signifying some kind of recorded speech, obviously, comes from the locket. And a voice says, To whom it may concern, this is Eric Russell, scientist, speaking to you from Earth West in the year 2945. And Iris's narration returns and says, Every word paints a vivid picture of the speaker, and his world of the future. We see a very handsome, neat dark-haired man, in a sort of tunic top, holding this locket himself, and his voice. For it was him that was speaking, in panel one continues, saying, A nuclear attack from Earth East is imminent. The enemy has already encircled our city rotunda with an impenetrable force field, against which our rockets shatter. And panel three of page ten is an exterior shot of the sort of inverted mushroom tower that we saw the Flash look at earlier on. And there are massive wham and blam explosions going off. So this is obviously the damage taking place that the Flash observed. Presumably this force field is preventing the inhabitants of the city from either trying to fight back or trying to escape because Eric Russell's narration is very confusing, <laughs> trying to follow everyone, everything that everyone's saying. Eric Russell's narration continues in panel four. I rush my wife and baby daughter to my laboratory. And we see... Eric and his wife, Fran, who, it must be said, does look a bit like Iris, similar hair colour. Hmm. She has a bundle in her arms, which is obviously the infant child. Eric is saying, Fran, darling, all escape routes to outer space and the underground have been cut off by the enemy's force fields. But there is one secret escape route left. Through time. And Fran replies, but, but only one of us could go. Our baby. In the first panel of page 11, she looks down at the child and says, no, it's. Too dangerous to dispatch Iris in your untested time vibrator. Untested time vibrator supported the Montrose Avenue at um, Leeds Cockpit in 1997. The Montrose Avenue, of course, were the that Matt Everett left menswear to join. Anyway, Eric tries to reason with Fran, as he says, Would you prefer to have a parish in the nuclear holocaust? Eric's narration for the next panel. With a parting kiss, my weeping wife surrendered our child. And we can see that Fran is crying leaning against Eric he's activating some machinery and it's almost like a yellow cone of light Mm -hmm. the baby is in the middle of and starting to vibrate and she's fading out as Eric says her estimated time arrival is 1000 years in the past and then he comforts his crying wife and he says goodbye darling God keep you and Fran says whoever finds our only child we pray you will protect her and we're back with Iris Allen in her dad's basement I mean, she's holding up the, the locket, and the recording of Fran, I suppose Iris's mum's voice, is playing, saying, "Pray you will protect her." And professor Ira West is standing in the open doorway, and he looks very surprised and shocked. As Iris, who looks very annoyed, turns to him and says, "Dad, I mean, why didn't you tell me I'm not really your daughter, and you are my real father?" And this is the professor making his first appearance in podcast in a very, very long time. He's an older, slightly fussy-looking man, white hair, very, very neat moustache, and glasses. The professor replies to Iris's demands, saying, Iris, please listen for a
0: moment and try to understand. You came out of nowhere. My answer to our prayers in our darkest hour. I was trying in vain to comfort my wife, convalescing after the death of our infant daughter in childbirth, when...
2: Gosh, that's dark. And we get yet another sideswipe alternate flashback. This panel is heavily rippled, which makes it a bit clearer. And we see Mrs West lying, obviously, convalescing. The poor soul. I had no idea this was part of their, their narrative. Mm-hmm. On a sort of sun lounge with a blanket over her. She's outside. Fresh air, obviously. And we see a much younger Ira standing beside her. He's only got brown hair at this point. Looks much, much trimmer. And to the left of them, appearing, sort of vibrating out of nowhere in a in the midst of a yellow cone of light, is the baby Iris who we saw disappearing from the future at the top of the page. Mrs West says, Ira, I've been praying night and day for a child until, until I'm... Imagining I see... actually see a, a... And Iris says, It's
0: not an illusion, sweetheart. It is an infant materialising out of nowhere. It's
2: wearing what looks like an identification locket. And presumably this is the flash's narration in the first panel of page 12. As Professor West touched the locket, it revealed Iris's parents' tragic decision. It's not short sure of Mrs. West... Holding the young Iris, Ira looks much more, yes, uh, Ira looks kind of like Paul Levitz. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah. To my eyes here, Mrs. West is saying, Poor little family of the future, we'll make up your loss with all our love. We'll raise Iris as our very own, dear. They both look up to the sky in panel two. Mrs. West says, Thank you, dear Lord, for giving us a daughter in place of the one we lost.
0: It's a miracle she came to us from a thousand years in the future. Her stabilised time vibrations will enable her to remain in the present with us.
2: And we return to Iris and her dad, her adopted dad, in his laboratory. Some nice flasks and what have you in the foreground. Very nice sort of stylish touch here as Iris is in silhouette, but her father is kind of lit from the side, very effective. As Professor West is saying, I,
0: I should have revealed your real origin to you, Iris, but I didn't want you grieving for parents you could never see again. Blanked it out of my mind,
2: perhaps. That was the onset of my absent-mindedness. I must tell Barry about me. He has every right to know. When Iris returned home... yep. see Iris making a call to Barry at work. She's saying, Barry, please hurry home. I have something very important to tell you. No, not over the phone. As soon as she hung up the phone... yep. Iris is putting her hand to her head. It looks as though her head is spinning, actually. She thinks, heart pounding, dizzy, shaky... Must be the excitement. Flash's narration
1: kicks in again. Iris tried to calm herself the way women do under emotional stress. She set the table, prepared dinner. That's going to go down well.
2: <laughs> Gosh, well, there you are. 52 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Iris is in the kitchen over the, standing at the cooker, still holding her head in her hands as she's thinking, can I, from the future, and Barry, from the present, be happy? Will he still love me when he discovers I was born 1,000 years after him? Oh, it's starting again. Feel as if I'm being drawn into a vacuum. And in the first panel of page 13, Iris looks down at herself and she seems to be fading out from the feet upwards. Her ankles are going translucent and she seems to be spinning all round. And she's thinking, Time vibrations becoming unstable. Being drawn back to the future. Back to the Future, hey! There we are,
1: are. (laughs) Copyright Robert Kaniger, 1970.
2: There we go. Did Zemeckis read this story about families and people being displaced? I don't know. Anyway, Mm, panel two, Iris crosses to her memo pad quickly as she continues to fade out. A pen in hand, she starts to scribble on the pad thinking, I can't reach phone. Must leave Barry a note. And there's almost a little hint of smoke in panel three as Iris fades out and we can see on the memo board Her previous note, darling, can't stop myself, irresistible force pulling me 1,000 years future, help me, blah blah blah. Some narration then in panel 4, which we think is probably the Flash, says... After hurtling through time... Yes, we see Iris standing outside the tower that we saw earlier on. People milling around. She thinks... I'm back to my own time era. These people must be survivors of the Earth-East nuclear attack. I wonder if my parents are dead. Suddenly, as if in an answer to Iris' thoughts... Yes, we see the older version of Mr and Mrs Russell. And as they recognise her, Eric Russell says... Fran, look! The locket we placed on Iris when we sent her into the past! And we should probably say at this point, Iris is framed very neatly in the right hand side of this panel. We can see the locket around her neck as Mrs Russell says... It's our baby! Growing up! My heart couldn't deceive me. It is Iris. Return to us. They all hug in the old Hogan, final panel, of page thirteen, as Iris says, "Father, mother," as her mum says. When we survived the war, we probed the past for you, but couldn't find you. But now you've returned, by some paradox of time travel, twenty-five years after you left here. First caption to page 14 is narrated by The Flash. It says, After riding the elevator to her parents' penthouse atop the city rotunda... They've got a penthouse in this (laughs) building that's been attacked by by nuclear bombs. It's all a bit J.G. Ballard, isn't it, listeners? Yeah. We can see actually that the, I want to say sort of barricade wall of the penthouse is is cracked as well. So like the rest of the Mm. building... It sustained some damage. Mrs Russell is saying,
1: It's ironical. After the nuclear war reduced America, Russia, China, all the big powers to the status of tribes, only Laos of Earth East remained victorious.
2: What looks like a little drone is flying overhead as Mr Russell points up to it and says, That's its spy satellite up there, keeping every Earth-West individual under ceaseless surveillance. They raid us at will for slave labour and sport, despite our warning siren. Oh, we're starting to piece together what things are like 1,000 years in the future. It's very mm. scary. Or maybe we should say 948 years in the future. <laughs> the flashes narration for panel two. Just then, from the spy satellite. And this is almost a point of view shot alongside the satellite, which is covered in little dimples and is, looks very much like a, an old-fashioned Telstar-type device. We can see the Rotunda Tower far, far below it. And a voice is coming from the satellite, obviously a kind of broadcasting-type voice, saying, Haken Central City! On the roof of your rotunda is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. I, Siddick, Supreme Leader of Earth East, want her for my mate. Have her await me in the plaza. Resist, and I shall destroy you all. We're back with a concerned Mr. and Mrs. Russell and Iris. Tears falling from the eyes of the two women as Mrs. Russell says, We We can't lose you now, after we've just found you again. No, Mother. I can't let you all be sacrificed because of me. I must go please don't make it harder for me to leave you these last few panels have a nice rounded edge to them so this is obviously the tail end of iris bringing the flash up to speed because we're back with iris and the flash outside flash holding iris close as she says now do you see why you must go back to your own time flash no iris you're my wife i won't give you up
1: give me a chance to fight for you and your people unless you no longer love me unless you no longer have any confidence in me.
2: Flash hugs a tearful iris close in the final panel of page 14 as she says, Darling, I've loved you for a thousand years and more. That's obviously clearly the inspiration from Christina Perry's line from Song for the Twilight movies, isn't it? I wouldn't know. <laughs> Good grief. It's a nice song. I'll make it my night song on Facebook tonight so you can check it out. <laughs> and that's one for anyone that's got me on Facebook. You can go back to, what, the 12th of October and check that out. A tearful (laughs) iris continues, and I have all the confidence in the world in you. That's all I want to hear, sweetheart. We're at the top of page 15 now. We're starting with the flash and iris. The flash looks ripped, must be said. Mm -hmm. And the flash narrates... Just then, settling down in the plaza... Settling down in the plaza sounds like the name of a Jackson Brown b-side or something. Anyway, a very large silvery flying saucer with sort of telescopic retractable legs has arrived. There's a couple of satellite dish-type efforts on the top. It reminds me a little bit of a cross between the Seaview submarine and the Dalek spaceship from Dalek's Invasion of 2150
1: AD. I was thinking the S.H.I.E.L.D. Helicarrier and the Yellow Submarine.
2: <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. you go. <laughs> Combine all of those vehicles and you'll imagine what Barry and Iris are looking at. This big silvery shiny thing has landed and a voice comes from inside saying, Sirik is here to claim his bride. I warn you, Resistance will be met with swift death for all, as the Flash says. I can't attack him openly. He'll slaughter everyone here. And a ramp or a flight of stairs or something has appeared out of this giant flying saucer and Siric is making his entrance. Now, he kind of looks like he's wearing Captain Comet's uniform, but it's been painted blue. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Logopolis. <laughs> Siric has an unfortunate orange tint to his skin, very, very heavily defined eyebrows. He's a few guys... Standing behind him. all look as though they're dressed up like the Phantom. Mm-hmm. The Leaf character minus his mask. So there we go. Lots of easy point of view referencing for you this episode, listeners. Cyric, <laughs> with big broad shoulders, is walking down. He's a holster. We should mention that on his belt as well. He's walking down towards the Flash and Iris as the Flash says, I am the Flash of the 20th century. This is my wife, Iris. I will fight you to the death for her. What manner of madman are you to challenge Cyric the Supreme? So it's a jewel to the death you want. Why not? You'll provide sport for me. Clear the area. No. Iris and the Flash have a big kiss on the final panel of page 15 as Ciric looks on and says, Ha! Make that your last kiss. When you see your gladiator again, there will be the frost of death on his lips. Gosh! This guy means business, doesn't he, listeners? Mm-hmm. First panel of page 16, Iris and Barry break their clinch as Iris looks up at the Flash and says, Remember, darling, when we were married, they said... Until death us do part. They were wrong. If 10 centuries couldn't separate us, not even death will part us. And oh my god, is that the most loaded bit of foreshadowing (laughs) we've had yet? Oh my goodness.
1: Bear that in mind for in about 12 years' time when we get to a semi sequel to this story.
2: (laughs) No, we'll get there. I think we'll get there a bit sooner than that. Yeah, I know. I know. There's a few other Barry and Iris stories along the way, but that's... True. Do you remember when we did, listeners, do you remember when we did issue 176 of The Flash, which had Mm. the story with the dream dimension, and we talked about how that kind of foreshadowed events of the future? That line of dialogue there from Iris's making me think that whoever was writing The Flash later on was at Carrie Bates. Yep. He was paying attention. He was reading and thinking. "Mm." Could
1: be, could be. Anyway,
2: panel two of page 16, Iris and The Flash stand separate from each other. Now Iris, kind of hugging herself in the background as The Flash stands before Sirik and says, I'm ready. And Sirik points at The Flash and says, The battleground will be the city rotunda. You have five minutes to hide. Then my guards will hunt you down. If you elude them, you will be qualified to meet me. Believe me when I say I hope you do not die too quickly and rob me of my sport. And in panel 3, the Flash appears to be jogging lightly, certainly not rushing at super speed towards the base of the rotunda structure. Again, we can see the cracks and the concrete, whatever it is that it's made of. And as he bounces along, he's thinking,
1: I'd better wait for the opportune moment to unleash my secret weapon, super speed.
2: Terrific. Now we pull out for a wider shot of the rotunda and a slight Dutch tilt, which shows the basement of the rotunda and... Some of Siric's soldiers running after the flash. A tearful iris in the foreground. There's Some excellent artwork going on here. This is tremendous. Mm. Siric points in the direction the soldiers are running and says, After him! How far can he run? And he laughs. Ha ha. A tiny caption says, continued in the third page following. me past the letters page for this issue and we arrive at the top of page 17, which The Flash narrates, saying,
1: On a lower level of the rotunda, a playground where once children's voices rang with innocent pleasure, a sinister game of death
2: began. This is great because we see The Flash standing on top of what we used to call in Paisley monkey bars. We had a large mm. climbing frame like this directly across from, from my house when I was a kid. Ah. I'll have to see if I can find some photos. Cool. The Flash is standing up on top watching Cedric soldiers running down the stairs towards him. One of the soldiers says, The fool wants to play! Blasters on full force! And then, the rest of page 17, is the Flash ducking and weaving and swinging around in the monkey bars, taking out a couple of the soldiers who fire after him, zipping in and out, very effective, and then the first panel of page 18, he moves to the swings! <laughs> we might put some <laughs> of these panels in the socials so you can get an idea of what's going on. Oh, we certainly shall, yes. The soldiers try to shoot him and take him out, but he swings back and forth on the, the swings, Knocking him out, and then in the final panel of page 18, it looks, well, I'm not quite sure what that is that he's carrying. It's a large round structure. I don't know if it's a kind of giant spinning top type thing or something, but there's a rush anyway as the Flash runs around with this, knocking over some of the soldiers who are firing after him. All very dialogue light, um, so that will save a brief bit of time of doing that. Continued the second page following. We arrive at the top of page 19. The Flash's narration. I kept battling the reinforcements from level to level. Yes, it looks like he's moved up to another part of the structure and he's swinging on a piece of ceiling suspended modern art. Some other weird statues in the background. And there's a zong sound effect as the Flash swings towards. Some soldiers are firing at him and takes all three of them out with one kick as he says. When do I get to meet Cyric in personal combat? And the Flash's narration continues.
1: Until I finally emerged onto the roof of the rotunda
2: where... Yes, Cyric. It's pointing a gun at Iris's head. He's held in front of him. We can see the broken walls all around. And as he arrives, the Flash sees what's going on and says, Iris, a hostage at Blaster Point. Is this your idea of a fair fight, Siric? Only fools follow rules. And they're soon dead. He's turning into Wentworth Miller. <laughs> <laughs> now, get behind that stone wall or your wife dies before your eyes. And there's obviously a big broken wall. I'm very amused at Siric's rhyming dialogue here. <laughs> yes. Fools follow rules, wife dies before your eyes. He's a poet, he didn't know it. Mm. Flash continues his narration. The moment I wearily stepped behind the wall... Yep. Ciric fires at the wall, saying, That trick wall shields me from you, but I can blast right through it at you. There's a zap sound effect, as whatever comes out of his gun comes through the wall. But then the Flash narrates in the first panel of page 20... What better time to show Ciric my own brand of super speed tricks? Yep. The Flash suddenly vibrates through the wall, rushing towards Ciric. Cedric exclaims, "'Coming through the wall, like a wraith!' And the Flash very helpfully rates. "'Then, as if set upon by multiple flashes...' Yes, glorious panel of the Flash, striking Cedric repeatedly at super speed and caption saying, "'Bam, Zok, and Zap!' Cedric's down on the ground at panel 3 looking up at the still vibrating Flash as he says, "'Stop! I concede you've bested me in combat. "'At the cost of your life, your wife's, and mine!' The perspective shifts in final panel of page 20 so we can see Iris as well looking very concerned, the Flash looking pained as Sirik continues. My missile sites at Earth East have been alerted to fire at Earth West unless I personally report back every half hour. That time has just elapsed and at this very moment the missiles are blasting off. Nothing. Nobody can stop them in time. And as we arrive at the top of page 21, the Flash's narration says... Like a blinding burst of light, I flashed from one continent to another. First panel of page 21 runs the length of the whole page. and It's a very colourful panel showing some massive wham and blam sound effects as some explosions are going off. And the Flash seems to be generating some super speed whirlwinds to contain all this, as he thinks... I vibrated the missiles into exploding prematurely without harming anyone. My next explosive move is against the missile sites. Yeah, we can see in the bottom of this panel what looks like the hatches to the container areas for the missiles. There's a massive BLANG blang sound effect and it shows the flash rushing away from a huge explosion, thinking, With the sites destroyed... Earth East and Earth West are now equal. Yes, very striking panel The Flash rushing off in the explosion. I do like that. That would be really good mm. wallpaper on someone's phone or something. Anyway, <laughs> Flash's narration for the final panel of page 21.
1: Another burst of
2: ultra speed and I was back at the city rotunda. And we see the Flash addressing the assembled Sirik and Mr and Mrs Russell and Iris and some of the other people who live in the rotunda. And Flash is in the middle of saying...
1: Man has already destroyed his land, water and people. The
2: rest of you must live in peace or... You will turn Earth into a planetary graveyard. And as we arrive on the first panel of page 22, the Flash's narration says... And with my mission completed... We see Iris with her parents. as almost that like she's hugging them cheerio. Her mother is saying... Your life is with your husband in his time. Will we ever see you again, my child? says Mr Russell. And Iris waves to them in panel two, saying... Of, of course, we'll visit you again, mother and father. Won't we, Flash? Certainly, honey. From time to time. Iris' parents wave. And in the Flash's narration for panel three... Slowing down my external vibrations, we whirled back into time. And we can see Flash and Iris arriving on the Cosmic Treadmill in the Alan's home. Iris indeed says, Home! And the Flash says... Iris, look! And we can see in the foreground a certain piece of paper, which in panel four still hasn't reached the floor. As the Flash says... Your note,
1: I dropped it when I took off in the Cosmic Treadmill... It's just reaching the floor.
2: Gosh, all of that in the blink of an eye. Not even the blink of an eye. Superb. And for the final panel of the story, we return to the Justice League satellite. Flash and Superman, we can see the Earth hanging in space before them as the Flash is saying, So you see, Superman, I know what it's like to be an alien of Earth in
1: the 30th century, just as
2: Iris does in the 20th century. And the Man of Steel replies, True Flash, but you and Iris have each other. Maybe, if I ever have a wife like yours... I won't feel like such a loner on earth anymore. Now that's almost the perfect place to end it, but we have a caption (laughs) that screams (laughs) at us and runs out page 22. And Peter's going to read that that says,
0: Editors note, lightning (laughs) can strike twice in space as well as in time. As we humbly acknowledge our indebtedness to the origin of Superman for this story yes or indeed the story of moses
2: yes or many many others yeah of course the the child being sent away to prevent being slaughtered Mm. or destroyed or killed in calamity or
1: or harry potter or you know
2: (laughs) yeah that was cracking wasn't it i really enjoyed that
1: yeah it's a mad caniger story obviously caniger had this wacky idea threw it out there as a throwaway and then it had massive repercussions later on
2: yes some of which we will deal with, obviously, as oh, we yes. continue. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a very silver agey idea, isn't it? Saying that Iris is from the far future and stuff. But it's, yeah. many of you listening will know what happens ultimately to Barry <laughs> and Iris. We're not going to spell it out though, because, you know, we're kind of no. trying to vaguely create a narrative for those listeners who haven't yeah. read every single story. But, mm-hmm. you know, as Peter says there, repercussions certainly down the line, and it'll be very interesting to see how they all play out. I loved that because it was just a nice slice of cold sci-fi for the first time in a long time.
1: Yeah. That's very true. It's interesting that Professor Ira West seems to think this might be the cause of his absent-mindedness. Yes. But there is another story where he gets a head injury, where he thinks that might be the cause of his absent-mindedness. Right. That's basically when he helps Barry create his first costume. It's a nice little retcon story that happens later on.
2: That rings a bell. I like the crashingly subtle Earth West, Earth East. Yeah. You know, suggestions and parallels. That was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Some things don't change, I suppose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I must admit, it's a lot of fun to see Justice Leaguers hang out and have a chat. Admittedly, Superman's a bit out of character than this. You know, I'm a man who's alone. Yeah. You know, I can't relate to people on Earth. It's like you've been living there for a while, Clark. Uh, <laughs> you know.
2: Maybe he feels that he can let his guard down with the Flash and just be himself and he can he can open up. Mm, yeah. Maybe the Flash is happy... Existence kind of triggers something in Clark so he feels a bit melancholy and you know, feels a bit sad. Maybe he's maybe jealousy is the wrong, mm-hmm. too strong a word, but maybe that's an element of it.
0: Yeah,
1: it could be an attempt to kind of Bronze Age up the Man of Steel and give him a bit more angst as opposed to just the father figure that he was that used to hand out life lessons in the Silver Age. You yes,
2: know? well, obviously, you know, we've mentioned that you know, we're now in the Kryptonite No More era stuff in Superman's own comic has been mixed up action comic is still a little bit out there at this point mm-hmm. and obviously we discussed some of his adventures and pages of Jimmy Olsen but yeah there's certainly right at this period when you know they've tried to make him a little bit more vulnerable yeah and a little bit more down to earth so I think it's quite mm-hmm. appropriate actually I, I quite like those sequences it, it shows them less as just sort of blankos for want of a better way of putting it yeah. but actually as uh-huh. almost mm. real people real friends yeah have real work colleagues having a you know a proper conversation mm-hmm. about what ails them, and I think that was quite. Yeah. I'm not going to say realistic, but you know that was quite pleasant and a nice, yeah. a nice diversion.
1: And Superman saying, "If only I could find love," and it's like, eh, "Sups, you, you do know that uh, Lois is right there. Uh, <laughs> you're not short of people who you know want to be your other half. There's Lois, there's Lana, there's Laurie Limaris, there's so many. Lara Looney, yeah. Oh, there's Lex
2: Luthor. Um. <laughs> Anyone with a double L." <laughs> I think we're getting away a wee bit from the point here with the story, but I mm. think this plays into the fact that at this point, maybe Superman felt that he couldn't have that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably felt the weight of his responsibility or was too concerned about. Yeah. But this is the Earth 1 Superman, obviously. We know that things will change for his Earth 2 mm-hmm. counterpart in about 80-odd yeah. issues of action comics sort of time, so mm-hmm. we'll discuss that when we get there. But no, it's an interesting diversion into the, the attitudes of the Man of Steel. Yeah.
1: I think the artwork in this is outstanding. Standing. Yes. I don't remember Novick and Murphy Anderson working together on anything else, really. Right. Usually, novick has got different anchors on him, and this—the two of them together—it's really special. As I said before, his costume looks like it's over the skin. Yes. It definitely looks. As if it's standing out, it's really striking, and. I mean, Iris's face, every single time you see it, looks great. It's a definite image of a, a, the same character. It's not like a generic female sure. face that's drawn to, You know, it's, it's, really, it's really vibrant.
2: They are a dynamic combination. Mm-hmm. I like what you said, the point you make about the Flash's costume because the whole point mm-hmm. of Barry's costume compared to Jay's costume when it was introduced was that it was... I'm sure I read a quote somewhere years ago and maybe one of the... Possibly the greatest 50 stories ever told, I think, Mm -hmm. or maybe one of those hardbacks, where it talks about it was almost like a second skin. Yeah. You know, you can see every contour and shape and muscle line in his body because it's attached. Uh Yeah, everyone looks great. I mean, it's a cracking looking story. I remember you saying before that I've known it's a big favourite of yours, but I mean, he really... Even the panel structures, some of the insets, and just the way it is, Mm -hmm. minimal panels, only four panels in certain pages, but it really tells a story and... Makes the whole thing move at a really, really good pace. And this yeah. design of all the, the futuristic structures that we see,
0: mm. mm-hmm.
2: this yeah. doesn't feel like a kind of a phoned in job at all. It's always that a bit of thought's gone into this and they've, yeah. you know, they've conversed and thought, right, we have to make it look special. And mm-hmm. it's only really, I think, some of the detailing in the futuristic clothes that kind of lets it down a little bit. They look a little bit too 50s retro sci fi in some ways, you know? Yeah, the, the tattered futuristic clothes. Yeah. yeah. And as we say, Sirik looks looking a bit like Captain Comet is quite amusing. <laughs> yeah. We should. Talk about the elephant in the room,
1: really. Go ahead. Which is they're in the 30th century and this is not anything like any Legion of Superheroes story that we've seen. No. This is not where the Legion of Superheroes exist because they should be flying about and they should have a giant metropolis yeah. and everything at this point.
2: That's a, an excellent point. It really is. I think mentioned, we mentioned briefly one episode before about trying to reconcile the, the futures of stuff like Commandy with the Legion stories and yeah. stuff. And it'll be interesting to see how well some of the stories we do in the future. Recon- I think also, I think the Tornado Twins story might have been one that we talked about
1: actually yeah huh?
2: you know they were direct descendants of barry allen in the legion of future but as you say there's yeah. no mention of the legion here at all east and west mm-hmm. nothing about the federation of planets or anything like that. it's very interesting nope. maybe it makes me wonder if canninger ever actually read a legion story <laughs> or even gave it a moment's thought i bet he didn't i bet he was just the right a thousand years in the future yeah yeah and because there was no overarching sort of overall control yeah <laughs> no one probably went uh, hang on just make it 900 years.
1: <laughs> well, this was a Julie Schwartz edited story, and I don't think we have any Legion stories done by Julie Schwartz, at least not for a very long time until they turn up in a GLA crossover. And of course, I think it was Mort Weisinger who was yeah. the editor for the Legion titles at that time, so obviously there's no communication between them.
2: Yeah, it's a real shame that there's not more Legion stories that we've been able to cover, because you know, mm. we're, Pete and I are both massive fans of the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. I have already started listeners believe it or not preparing content for the that far off jla jsa legion superheroes (laughs) crossover i already have some stuff prepared can you believe it yes you can of course i can,
0: can i can
2: of course you can that is a very interesting point Lots and lots of different futures, I suppose. Mm-hmm. At this point, are they all potential futures for the 20th century that, that Barry lives in? It's it's all very interesting.
1: If I remember rightly, this is kind of delved into slightly in the first two issues of DC Comics Presents, because both of them, it's a two-part story ah, with the Flash and Superman. Chase through
2: time, that's right, yes. Yep,
1: they have to run through the future, and I think they said because of the different way that they... The actual travel through time. They travel through slightly different timelines. Ah,
2: interesting.
1: I might be misremembering that, or I think it might have been something from a letters page. Right. Because someone might have brought that up, and they said that that was the reason, which would make sense from a
2: point of view, yeah? Yeah. I might have to dig those two issues out and have a look. That's very interesting. Oh, it's a
1: fantastic story. It was reprinted in a British annual, I think it was about Superman annual 1980 or something like that. Right, okay. And I had that then and read it and read it and read it until it fell apart. Because at that fantastic you know, briefing session with one of the aliens and there's a whole circle of time because they can only go forward in time and they basically have to run to the end of time and break through this cosmic barrier so they can reach the beginning of time again. It's phenomenal.
2: Great I stuff. I see. Peter, I've just, while, while you were talking, I've just moved over to my shelves and I'm now holding up. I don't know if you can see it's the cover of the Superman Annual 1982.
1: 82? I was close. So,
2: so that I don't even have to go through my, my coffin boxes to dig out. I can just read this when I go to my bed this evening. Superb. Awesome. Right. Well, after I've had a flick through this, I'll pass this on to you then, because if you're, yes, you can you can have that copy and can be an early birthday present. <laughs> Cheers. That's my homework for tonight, then, listeners. <laughs> and again, obviously, it's another story with Superman and the Flash, like this one. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ciric with his vaguely oriental caricature stylings. Mm. I was very amused by his rhyming dialogue towards the end. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's uh, an unusual choice, but hey, it's fine.
2: I'm looking over a four leaf clover. What is it? Only fools follow rules. Or your wife dies before your eyes. Great fun. Mm-hmm. He was interesting. I wonder how he managed to maintain his, his control over everything that was going on as the nations fell under the nuclear onslaught.
1: Are we assuming there's only two cities left in this world? Earth East is Laos. Yeah. Apparently. Or Laos. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. And Earth West is Central City.
2: As the Rotunda. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's a very bleak future, isn't it? It's very, very Mm. far away from the the positivity of the Legion future. It's very sad, very depressing. I think Iris is definitely better off in the 20th century. So we're going to dip into the letters page that covers this issue now. We're jumping forward to issue 207 of The Flash, which... Oh, well, that's a story we're going to be doing, actually, issue 207 of The Flash, Mm. so we won't say too much more about that. There are two pages of letters. We're not going to do them all. We're going to drop a couple of them. The first one goes like this. Dear Editor...
1: Imagine, in your prime you suddenly find convincing evidence you're really of another time period, and not at all who you thought you were for those many years. Robert Kaniger imagined it and set forth to write a tremendous tale. The Flashy's wife is a two-timer, in issue 203 must have been the greatest Flash story in years. RK really knows how to handle a story. He blends action with emotion. It was near flawless. The gap between flawless and near flawless was Iris' lack of enough reaction to the realisation of her true background.
2: That's a fair point. Yep.
1: Now, I don't want her moaning over and over. Barry, we used to love me knowing I'm not what you thought I was when you married me? But I believe I would have been a little bit more shocked than Iris seemed to be. Art-wise, this tale had the best of the Novick Anderson team. I wasn't too impressed with Novick's early flash. Scandalous. <laughs> uh, but... This work convinced me of its ability, and what I was most impressed with was that fantastic cover. When it comes to making an eye-catching cover, Neil Adams is king. It seems no one ever knows what to expect next of you guys. That's just the way I like it. And that's from David C. Hendricks
2: from Clemson, South Carolina. The editorial response is... Why, sometimes not even we know what to expect of ourselves, like this issue's unheralded return of Mike Friedrich and a mild spoiler for issue Flash 207, so I won't finish the rest of that. (laughs) Instead, I'll just read you the next letter. Dear Editor, Now, this is a story. I thought you'd forgotten what a story really was. Gosh. The last one I can remember offhand is Flash number 163, but Robert Caniger has finally let his talent shine through with Flash number 203 are those really future type folk underground cities my god is that the cosmic treadmill i see now this is a story and this is art i remember last seeing that around issue 174 oh my gosh this is harsh <laughs> you've got a fabulous team in Novik and anderson please keep this team on the flash and this is packaging one of the best covers i've seen in years appearing in a flash comic somebody pinch me a story spanning the entire issue no Kid Flash, no fifty-year-old superhero at a rock festival. My eyes grow fogged with tears of joy. Hmm. Cover, full-length story, competent writing, good art. My God, Flash number two hundred three is everything. Now this is a comic, and that very entertaining letter is from Robert Strauss, St. Petersburg, Florida. Flash one six three,
1: of course, is that one with the classic cover with flashing stop. You must buy this issue.
2: Ah, awesome. Yeah. I think I kept that one. I think that might have escaped mm. the purge. I'm not sure. Anyway, the editorial response to Robert Strauss's letter is... Now this is a critic. (laughs) Amazing. Right, the next letter then. Dear
1: Editor, I'm sick of Iris, Allen. Yes, that's right. Sick, sick, sick. Now, I'm normally too much of a gentleman to discuss the lady in such blunt terms. But when I think of the disastrous effect Mrs. Allen has had on her fleet-footed husband in a mere four years of marriage, what effect... They seem to be happily married, you say. Yes, indeed. And that's the whole problem. Barry is so much in love with his wife, it's destroying his flashing abilities. (laughs) Look at how haggard and drawn his face is in panel 4, page 2 of the February Flash. Who can blame him? All he does nowadays is run around rescuing his wife. (laughs) How he must miss in the secret hours of early morning the fun he used to have in the old days, when Iris was plain Iris West and Flash was free to romp with his rogues' gallery, defeating each insidious plot with some clever counterplay. No more. The party's over, but the honeymoon's still going. How much can a guy take? Especially a light-hearted, easy-going sort like Barry Allen. Look at him. His hair is creeping down over his collar, definitely out of character. He never mentions his police work anymore. His old friends and enemies are avoiding him only excitement seems to consist of eating Iris's meals in between rescues, his thrilling super life as a bachelor all sacrificed on the old altar. It's a tragedy because a Canagar plot like that Flash's wife is a two-timer was just too good to have been so messed up by the new befuddled Flash. The old unmarried Flash wouldn't have been satisfied to thwart his enemy by darting around in a children's playground? The old Flash wouldn't have allowed this carefully thought out future Earth adventure to pass without showing off his lightning fast wits at least once. But time has passed on and the Scarlet Speedster must content himself with stumbling over the twists and turns of the too simple plot, hoping that he will run across a simple physical solution, like fisting a villain to the ground or stopping a missile attack with mere vibrations. And poor Iris, I can't help feeling sorry for her. It must be tough being married to a superhero. I don't think Iris has the inner resources to take it. Her whole personality has become dull and trite, like the wife on a TV sitcom. And oh, she's so lovey-dovey now, not the tough, pert, independent-minded news hen she used to be. A shame. A nice girl like that. And with two sets of parents now, things can change. Sometimes for the better. But unless Iris cools it, I want a divorce! And
2: that's from Scott Dickerson from Los Alamitos in California. Yeah. Gosh, that was quite interesting. We didn't really, None of that really occurred to us. Yeah. But I suppose this emphasised the importance of looking at the contemporary reaction, isn't it? Because these people would have been reading The Flash and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is fine, but oh God, he's boring now since he got married.
1: It actually reminds me of something that happened in the story and one of the many flashbacks that took place in this issue because Canada's yeah. a madman and just flashbacks <laughs> from flashbacks from flashbacks. <laughs> We had a flashback to Iris discovering Barry's the Flash and she seemed surprised. Because mm. as long term Flash readers know, Barry told Iris he was the Flash on their first wedding anniversary. However, Iris knew from their wedding night because Barry talked in his sleep and she kept quiet all that time.
2: That's right. We covered that. We covered that in an episode. That's right. Remember?
1: So, yes, that flashback is a bit wrong because mm. she shouldn't be surprised that, you know, his identity being been
2: revealed. Editorial response to Scott is. Divorce in haste, repent at leisure. So how about you cooling it, Scott? Reconciliation, Mr. Dickerson? J.S., that's quite amusing. So the next letter. Dear editor, comics of late, if plotted in the proverbial graph, would show a well-defined sharp line straight down. Gosh. Sure, one always has detective comics and Batman, and an occasional phantom stranger, but by and large, it's a losing battle. However, we'll, open brackets, and thank God, close brackets, always have those Crazy editors, rising above a sea of mediocrity, producing issues like Flash number 203. Over the past three years, this magazine has succeeded in setting an unprecedented record of straight, without exception, mediocrity. Well, Mr Schwartz, you've just broken your losing streak with the best Flash issues since 123's Flash of Two Worlds, although written here as 127. Mm. The Flash's wife is a two-timer, which is a very amusing pun that we didn't really yeah. talk too much about.
1: It's fantastic, uh-huh.
2: Scored 100% and I hope will establish a trend for future issues, even if not this one issue is worth it. Allow me to dissect this triumph. Neil Adams cover was a masterpiece, perhaps the photograph juxtapositioned with the figures in the foreground was an experiment and as such it paid off. The low resolution of the reproduction gave it the effect of being part of the actual drawing. Mm. The interior artwork was good, the zenith of the creamy hackneyed but still effective style so often disdained by modern comic mag artists. Whatever I might say about the art itself, I cannot criticise the layouts. They were tremendously effective, reminiscent of the camera angles of Seymour Robbie, a fact having no relevance to this letter save that Irv Novick rates far above his medium graphically. Very, very good. The story was not original, but it was still a fine example of how many old plots can be assembled into a coherent and fresh plot. It was an homage! (laughs) Yes, Scott Mendelssohn always says rip off, don't remake Bob Kaniger's future society was well thought out, the dialogue superb, this usually being Kaniger's weakest point. All in all, a fine issue, well worth bringing out the old trusty 1948 portable after a regular typewriter went bad on us. Thanks for wading through it. Clem Robbins, Sheffield, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Editorial response to that one.
1: We'd much rather wade through a letter of comment than have you rate our editorial efforts all wet. Awesome. And the next letter says, Dear Editor, If anything else, Flash 203 was, well, surprising to say the least. Neil Adams gave us possibly the best and most intriguing cover comicdom has ever beheld. I must say it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen and it still gets a long stare from me every time I look at it. It had a definite, I don't know what kind though, effect. It was one of those covers that made you want to read the magazine the moment you saw it. As for the actual story, it definitely was a masterpiece. Nothing but, art-wise and story-wise, Irv Novick and Murphy Anderson did the best art job I've ever seen between the pages of The Flash.
2: Gosh. high praise.
1: I've seen many artists go through those folds and I know good stuff when I see it. Robert Kanegar should be awarded an alley for his superb story. I felt so nostalgic seeing those scenes on page two. Sigh. It was a real surprise to find that good old Iris West was some person from the future. The story was sort of sad too because… It was so true. Man is so silly, fighting among each other just to satisfy the egos of a few, mind you, I'm not talking about ours, stupid governments. The dictator, Siric, was excellently portrayed. I just can't get over this perfect story. Wow! And that's from Keith Griffin, not Keith Griffin, but Keith Griffin
2: from Mobile, Alabama. Awesome. No editorial response to Keith, so the next letter goes like this. Dear editor, I'm not sure if I liked Flashy's wife as a two-timer or not, although I've read it several times. The future dreamed up by Mr. Carnegie is interesting. And on the whole, the plot is good. However, it disturbs me a little to have one of the few normal characters remaining go the weird origin route. Mm. Yes, that's what I was thinking. (sighs) It's kind of like the way that in the modern era, all of Doctor Who's companions, practically all of Doctor Who's companions yeah. have been very complex space-time events, like Rose being Bad Wolf and Donna being yeah. the Doctor Donner and Clara being the, the impossible girl.
1: Yeah, and in the Flash TV series, all of his pals end up gaining powers.
2: Yeah. The letter continues. I like the way that Superman has been depicted in the last few stories that he's been in. For once, he is an alien to whom Earth is an alien world. So we have another full-length novel. Good. I like them when they're not paddies, and this one wasn't. I hope that the backup feature will return next issue. It's so good to see old and new heroes in stories of their own. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't get more J. Garrick backup stories, but yeah, what can you do? That cover was very different from any other I've ever seen done. The photograph alone was different, but somehow Neil Adams' art contribution didn't quite look entirely Adams'. Could Grey Morrow have had a hand in inking it? And that's from Bill Winans, or Winans, Putney, VT. Where's VT? Vermont. Vermont. Of course. Now, the editorial response to Bill is... Negative on Morrow-winking Adams
1: and double negative on the bearded man being Cray Morrow or even Stan Lee, as some of our readers have suggested. To answer another reader's queries, the photograph was taken by our man in the production department, Jack Adler. To respond to still other fans, the locale is in front of our office building, while the pedestrian is a complete stranger who was made bearded to protect his identity. <laughs> Fantastic. That's
2: a fascinating insight. That's great. That's why another reason why it's worth looking at the letter columns. That's brilliant. Without a doubt. Yeah. So, there is one very short letter left to round out this letter column, and Peter's going to read it now. Dear Editor, is Iris West clairvoyant or
1: something? I mean, in Flash 203, how could she have known that she was going anywhere or when? Not that I don't like the story, mind you. I would just like to see these little things explained. But come to think of it, about my objection, don't bother with the explanation. The answer is all so clear. Women's intuition. And that's from John Olson from
2: Towson, Maryland. Yes, I shouldn't have laughed there quite as much as I did, but I'm I'm not laughing because I agree with the sentiment (laughs) that's being expressed. I'm laughing at how attitudes have changed and how you probably couldn't get away with Saying such things nowadays. <laughs> well, Iris is very clever. You know, she knows what's going on. She always knows what's going on. Yep. She's probably the most capable female supporting character that our podcast has given us. So, so yeah, that's why.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think this is the first story we've seen Iris travel through time in. Oh. So that's, that's interesting from a
2: point of view. It's not, it's not going to be the last time, but yeah. That's, Spoilers. That's, that's cool. Mm hmm. We've reached the end of the letter column, which means we've reached the end of the episode.
1: It does, yes.
2: So, Peter, why don't you say all the things you normally say at this point in the episode? Certainly. Now, you've just heard the letters from the readers at
1: the time. Why don't you write us a lovely electronic letter in a 21st century manner? You can email us. At the earth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some lovely bonus content for you to check out. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the earth2podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. And of course, make sure you check out our website, the earth2podcast.com, where you can find this and every other episode.
2: And as I always say, if you're feeling generous, you could go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us a review, or at the very least, you could maybe just tell your pals. Yay!
1: Have a chat when you're in your local comic shop tell people about the Earth 2 podcast?
2: Yeah, spread the word. If you're enjoying it, you know, if you're not enjoying it, why would you even be listening? I don't know. If you're not enjoying it, please don't spread the word. And as I sometimes say, if you're feeling especially generous, you go to our coffee page, buy Peter the price of a beverage. That would also be much appreciated. Mm-hmm. On that note, I've been Peter. And I've been David. And The Flash will be back before too long. Don't you worry. You have been listening to
0: The Earth, the Earth 2, 2
2: Podcast. podcast. Transmatter Cube activated.
0: Return coordinate set for Earth Prime.
2: I thought you'd forgotten what a story really was. Gosh. The last one I can remember offhand is flash number one hundred and sixty-three. Which one's that? can I do <laughs> oh, no, know, I'm just
1: kidding. Oh, is that cracking issue? Yeah, it was good.
2: <laughs> that one is your
0: favourite, right? <laughs>